welcome everyone to Creating a Family, talk about adoption, fostering, and infertility. Today we're going to be talking about the unique challenges of kinship care, kinship foster care, and adoption. This is a topic that we certainly are hearing about more and more from our community. And if you can uh, uh, listen to the media, you will know that they're talking about it more now. There is a greater need than ever for kin to step up and care for kids who are entering foster care. This is an important topic. I think you're really going to enjoy this show. Here's a sample of what you're going to hear. Got to find support. There's only one way to process anger and frustration and everything that comes along with kinship care, and that's to find a support network that works for you. And know that your feelings are perfectly normal and everyone is in the, that's in your position has been there. This show is brought to you by Creating a Family, the national adoption, fostering, and infertility education and support nonprofit. I'm Dawn Davenport. I'm your host and the director of Creating a Family. You can find us and all of our resources online at creatingafamily.org. This show, as well as Creating a Family generally, is underwritten by the Jockey Bing Family Foundation. They believe that every child deserves to grow up with a loving family in a forever home. You can find out more about their mission at their website, jockeybeingfamily.com. And you can also support them in their efforts by attending their upcoming gala. It's actually a gala and a golf classic. It's going to be on March 20th and the 21st at the Grand Geneva Resort and Spa, and it's near Kenosha, Wisconsin. I'm not going to be able to go, but some of our staff's going to be there. It really does sound like a fun event. So go to their website, jockeybeingfamily.com, and check out the information about the Gala and Golf Classic. Today we're going to be talking about the unique challenges of kinship care and adoption. We'll be talking with... Kate Hawk. She is the founding director of Newfound Families in Virginia. She serves on the board of the National Foster Parent Association and is the vice president of the National Kinship Alliance for Children. We will also be talking with Sylvie De Toledo. She is the founder of Grandparents as Parents and the co-author of the book, Grandparents as Parents, A Survival Guide for Raising a Second Family. Welcome, Kate and Sylvie, uh, and thank you so much for joining us today to talk about this important topic. I think we need to kind of begin at the beginning, which always helps. What do we mean by kinship care? What is included within that general term? Um, Sylvie? Good morning. Thank you for having us. Um, kinship care is referred to as when a relative steps in and takes in a child that is related to them but that they did not give birth to. could be a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a cousin, a big brother, a big sister, um, anyone who is related to the child. And even a, a non-related extended family member can be considered uh, a kinship provider. So that would be maybe a neighbor, a family friend, somebody who's known the child and steps in if there are no relatives and the parents are unable to uh, appropriately parent the child. Okay, and I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about this because this could be a show on its own. But, Kate, why is kinship care, uh, in most states, I should say, let me start by saying in most states, kinship care is considered preferable to non-relative foster care. So... Why is that the case? Why do we prefer? What, what's the theory behind thinking that kinship care is preferable? Um, thank you for having me. Um, one of the things that people should know is that all of the research, all of the research that has been done across the country about comparing children being raised in uh, kinship care or being raised in substitute care such as foster care shows that the children do better when raised by family because they retain their family bond, they keep a family relationship, they know their roots, they retain relationships with those family members that have been involved in their lives um, for a very long time. That's not to say that foster care is not good. Foster care is good and necessary. Um, but when there is a family member, the research has shown when the family is properly supported that they are the best alternative for a child who cannot live with their birth parents. Okay, we got a question that's a good 
um, kind of a jumping off part to the, the, the next topic we're going to cover. This is from Brenda. She says, we are caring for our son's two kids. They left the kids with us three years ago when they were toddlers. It looks like now that neither parent is going to be able to parent, at least for a while and maybe not ever. We need help in deciding how to go forward. What are our options and the advantages and disadvantages? Thank you so much for talking about this. Um, I think in order, uh, there's a lot of information we don't know um, uh, from Brenda's question. Um, but let's start, and Kate, I'd like to be in with you, about talking about their, uh, the literature refers to three general types of, of kinship care, informal, voluntary, and then formal. Um, I've seen that call, uh, different terms used, but generally speaking, let's just hit the kind of the cliff note versions of what we mean by informal kinship care. Um, that's when a parent would just leave a child in the care of a relative, which may well be what is happening in, in Brenda's situation. Um, in that situation, who has legal custody of the child? assuming that courts have not been involved and nothing has happened other than the child having been left with the, um, with the relative. Kate? So as long as the uh, family has not gone to court to get custody, then the custody re is retained by the um, biological parents. And um, that can create a lot of problems for kinship caregivers across the country, depending on what their laws are in their states or in their, in their localities. Um, it might be difficult to get medical care. It might be difficult to enroll children in school, depending on what laws you have in your states. So if, um, if, if it's an informal kinship care and the children are just left there, then the custody retained, is retained with the parents, unless, of course, the Department of Social Services has stepped in and, and removed the children from the home, then they, re, then they are in the custody of the government. Um, and then, of course, if the kinship care provider, if the, uh, the family, if Brenda were to go to court and request custody of the children, it could be legally transferred to her. And that would be actually then falling under the formal kinship care where the child is in legal custody of the state and the state places the child with the kin. Um, and in that case, the the legal, medical, and educational decisions for the child are made by the state because the state is the one who has custody. Am I getting that, that correctly? Well, that that is true if the state actually comes and removes the children from the birth parents. If the parents simply drop the child children off at the home of a relative, um, mm -hmm. right. that birth parent has the custody, and then the kinship caregiver would go to court to request custody um, be, be moved from the birth parents to the kinship caregiver, in which case the state never gets involved, and the court just makes a decision which family is going to have the custody. The only time okay. the state ends up or the county ends up with custody is if the children are removed by the government and then the government takes the custody. Right. And in California, we ahead, refer please. to informal as families who have probate guardianship through family court and formal families who have come through dependency court, Department of Public Social Services. And then there's kind of this hybrid that's in there where in some states call it voluntary kinship care, and that's when the the state has never taken custody of the children, but the state has been involved, state being the child welfare agency, has been involved in the decision for the child to be placed with the um, with the kin, perhaps for the the, uh, the parents going to rehab or something, and rather than the, t the state taking uh, custody, they just uh, were involved in the decision-making process that the child would move to a grandparent or some other relative. Um, right. But what and Go ahead. There is an important caveat there that you might want to make sure that your reader, your listeners know about, if I may. Sure, please. Okay. Um, one of the things that people need to know is if, if that happens, everyone needs to know that there is actually a federal law that it is responsibility of government when they go to remove a child from the birth parents, they are responsible for finding a relative. That's their first responsibility, to find a relative, to place that child with that relative and prevent foster care placement. Yeah, it's a good point. And the other thing that's, I think, important for um, people listening to know is that this all varies by state. 
and especially not uh, the the emphasis is supposed to be across the board, as you point out, it's federal law. But what people, what the different states call, uh, and how hard they try, all of that that differs by states. So keep that in mind as as we as we move forward. Absolutely. Um, one of the distinctions that is important and and might be helpful for Brenda to be thinking about in deciding how to move forward is the aid, uh, financial or other aid, that uh, is available for different types of kinship care providers. Sylvie, what is the main distinctions that, that for somebody like Brenda who's trying to decide what to do, how to move forward? It sounds like it sounds in, like in, that she's an informal kinship care. The children were just right. In off. Brenda's situation, she would need to go to probate court to get legal guardianship of the children and what she would be then eligible or the children would be eligible for. And they are eligible now even without um, legal guardianship. If if they've been in her home, she can request assistance from um, Department of Public Social Services in California. It's called CalFresh and um, uh, um, it's the, the welfare and get Medi-Cal for the children. Now, if it, it would be hard-pressed for her to go to Department of Child Welfare because the kids are not being abused or neglected, and they've been with their grandparents for quite some time. And so Department of Children and Family Services only gets involved if there's suspicion of abuse or neglect. And that would be against the grandparents because they've been with the grandparents. So they would not get involved at this point. She could not go and say, my grandchildren have been with me for three years and I'd like to make this permanent through child welfare. She would have to go through probate court. And you raise a, but before we, you raise a really interesting point that I want to circle back to. But before we do that, the different types of aid that might be available um, would be um, – the uh, child health insurance program chips. Uh, possibly, I, again, I don't know Brenda's income level, but uh, what used to be referred to as food stamps, it now goes by SNAP, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, might be available. The temporary, also the uh, temporary assistance, assistance to needy to families. Needy families, right. Again, depending on uh, whether or not she qualified. But now, well, actually, that, that well. they're eligible for that regardless of their income. But that does, the cow the work. that does depend Go on ahead, the state. That does depend on the state. That does depend on the state. I did the research on this across the country, and um, Sylvia, you have a fabulous state in terms of kinship care. <laughs> um, you guys have been doing such great work. But there are some states that, um, and Virginia is one of those, that if the grandparents don't have legal custody, then the children are not eligible for anything. Um, basically, uh, they have to have legal custody in order to get those programs you just spoke of. And the only way that they can get the SNAP program is if the grandparents or the relative actually has low income and qualifies. And the other piece of that to keep in mind for almost every state is that if you go forward for the temporary assistance for needy families because you have legal custody or if in the fabulous state of California you don't have to have custody, I just love that, um, <laughs> then there is another federal program called the Child Support Enforcement Program. And Child Enforcement Program will then come and try to collect child support from the relative to pay back the TANF that the state is giving the grandparents. And that's always been a very big deal for grandparents and relatives to understand because sometimes they don't want to do it because they don't want to create that wrinkle. Let me repeat what you said to make sure I'm understanding. So mm-hmm. if Brenda wanted to, the temporary, the, the TANF, Temporary Assistance to Needy Families, mm-hmm. is available to the children in most states if, if the grandparents have legal custody and in some states perhaps in California, and perhaps other states not. But if the grandparents receive money through TANF, Temporary Assistance to Needy Families, which they would be eligible for if they have legal custody, then the state has the right to go back through go back to the parents, um, the birth parents, uh, so that we're just to make things clear, back to the children's parents 
and and try to collect child support from them to pay back the TANF program. Did I understand you correctly, Kate? That is correct. And the only way that they that child support does not have to do that is if there is a domestic violence situation in which the grandparents can prove that the child will be harmed or there could be a risk to the family or the child should um, that family, that birth parent, find out where the child is. Uh, okay, so only if so, And we definitely uh, encourage counseling. families who do not have any legal protection for the children to get that the guardianship so that before they apply for any kind of funding, because oftentimes the children are used as a pawn and grandma is taking care of them while the parents might still be getting the welfare. And if the the parent becomes aware that the welfare has been transferred to the grandparent, they may come and take their child, and the grandparent has no legal rights to the child if there's nothing from a court. Yeah, something yeah to be to think about that Brenda needs to think about before going forward. And she also needs to be aware that in most states, I don't know California, um, Sylvia, you'd have to clarify this, but in most states. When she does, if she does decide to get custody and go for TANF or finds out her state doesn't require the custody situation, um, it is the child's income that is counted. So when they go to fill out those applications, I and mean, we get this question all the time, when they go to fill out those applications, they're only writing in the child's income when it comes to temporary assistance for needy family in most states. Right. They're applying as a non-needy caregiver. Right. And then hence why most children are obviously going to qualify. Mm-hmm. Right. Excellent. Yeah, and then there was the the other issue that Sylvie referred to at the beginning, and that is in this uh, we're making assumptions, but it sounds like Brenda, that child welfare was never involved. Brenda has been caring for her two grandchildren for three years. Now, for if child welfare, there is, there are uh, supp- supplements that come to parents who are fostering children through foster care. And it's my understanding that in most states, that amount, that, that um, uh, foster parent supplement or foster parent payment is higher than, than the TANF payments. So yes. much the, higher. Yes, yeah, significantly. So, all right, so Brenda is parenting these children. Child welfare has not been involved. The parents, let's just use the word abandoned. I don't know how involved they've been, but have uh, have certainly not been parenting them for three years. Is there any way for Brenda to have the have child welfare get back involved for her to become a a foster parent and to and and be eligible for the foster parent supplements? Sylvie, no, there is no way um, because. Child welfare would only get involved with a family if there was uh, allegations of abuse or suspicion of abuse or neglect. And in this case, this was the parent's plan, and the children have not been abused or neglected by their grandparents. And if a case were to be opened, it would mean that there's a ding or a mark against the grandparents. Right, and in this case... The grandparents have have been providing adequate care, right. and uh, so, so they that, they would not be the children would not be able to go through child welfare to receive the higher benefits. Those are only for children who come to their relatives through dependency court, through the child welfare system, and who are placed through them. That child welfare has jurisdiction over that child. Okay, well, but, let me, but let me there ask is this some question. good news. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, good. There is some good news. Um, If by any chance the children have any sort of disability um, that would then qualify for them for Social Security, if they got qualified for Social Security and Brenda decided that she wanted to adopt the children, prior to the finalization of the adoption, as long as they're eligible for Social Security, they can then uh, apply to their local uh, departments or their state to receive adoption assistance, which is a federal program that is um, matched by the state, um, for adoption assistance, including up to $2,000 in attorney fees. So if she moved toward the adoption because the children had a special needs, there would be a way to find some resources for the children. 
And tell us how broadly uh, do the uh, uh, does the government consider the word special needs? Let's talk about that briefly. Go ahead, Kate. Um, there, ha- there has to be a special needs assessment done by a physician who determines that a child could have um, it, it could, a child could have very very significant. ADHD, um, where they weren't able to focus enough to learn in school. Um, they could have a, a um, sort of a disability that re- requires them to have a great deal of help in special education at school. They could have, um, if they had them, some of the symptoms of fetal alcohol syndrome, they may be able to qualify. And, of course, any child with developmental disabilities or a medical disability would, of course, qualify under Social Security. And we always encourage families, be prepared to be declined when you first apply, and you'll have to appeal it because a lot of people get declined at first until you go through the process of appeal. And also, if the, oh, ahead, if the grandparents were of retirement age and were receiving retirement benefits yeah. from Social Security and they adopted their grandchildren, the grandchildren would be eligible for a portion of the relative, the grandparents' Social Security. That's right. Okay, so if they were receiving Social Security... If the then, grandparents are receiving Social Security and they adopt the children, the children will be eligible to receive a portion of the Social Security based so on they, the fact that the relative adopted them. And that's only through it. That's only uh, if they proceed to adoption. Adopt, yes. Okay. Um, one of the other distinctions between, or potential distinctions, between the different types of kinship care is whether or not specialized training is required. With formal, if you become a foster parent, um, there is, depending on the state, anywhere between 30, 35 hours usually of training um, that is required, and oftentimes there is continuing education training required as well. But, Kate, what about if you are a foster parent, and I'm sorry, not a foster parent, but you're, a kin- you're providing care for your grandchildren or your relative, and you haven't gone through the formal process and haven't gone through uh, Department of Children and Services or whatever, whatever it's called in your state, DSS or whatever. About, are they eligible What type for of training? Oh, are, yeah, Are they nothing. required to have training? No. Um, once the, when the government's not involved, there isn't really um, any help for kinship caregivers. That's why we, we look so forward to so many kinship caregivers who are willing to go toward the adoption because we believe if they learn more about what's available through the benefits of Social Security, they might actually be able to get more help for the kids. But, yeah, there's no training. We can tell people that you could go to your local Department of Social Services or Child Welfare Agency and ask to be included in some of their training, and sometimes through their prevention funds they're able to um, allow kinship caregivers to attend foster care training to learn more. Um, But there's nothing required. Okay. So if you are a relative, and this doesn't involve um, our, the question we received for Brenda, but if we could go back three years, uh, or if you're somebody else who is whose child uh, is you're in the position it could be your child or a relative, you're in the position of being asked to care for uh, your relative's child or your grandchild, and you suspect that this is going to be going to be for the long term. Let's talk, and, and Kate, I'm going to direct this to you, and then I'd also like for Sylvie to come in second. Um, should you should you how do you get child welfare to be involved at that point should you do you really need the state do you want the state in your business um are you should you what's the advantage other than monetary which is a significant one i should add so in if if it were 3 years down the road um for Brenda no, three, or, years before, pre- previous, 3 years before previously yeah yeah, yeah. um Many, many kinship caregivers want nothing to do with the government being in their business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they would rather, you know, go to food pantries, rely on their faith-based communities, rely on their community and their other family members to assist. Um, the issue for many of them is that um, there is a fear there that 
says social workers might come in and remove children. That's one of the things that we tell people as a reason why not to go toward the foster care angle is that if you went toward foster care, if you had said, if she had said to the relative, look, I can't take them, you're going to have to take them to social services, and then I will try to get them through foster care, the downside of a child being in foster care for a relative is that the state or the locality has complete uh, responsibility and decision-making on the placement. So if the state or the county was not satisfied or was worried about the children having contact with the birth parents, they can come in for any reason at any time and remove those children and put them somewhere else. And that is a big issue. I think Sylvie would agree. A big issue Absolutely. for it's a relatives, big threat. right? Mm-hmm. And why they don't move toward foster care um, is because of that fear. Now, in some states, they are starting to create protections for that. But um, you know, when you're on the front lines and you're, and workers have a lot of kids on their caseloads, then um, they're on the front lines. They're making decisions. Uh, they don't necessarily. Um, have a lot of time to think through those decisions and do the family engagement planning that would be done in some states before they could remove the child. They might just remove the child, and every movement mm-hmm. for a child is a trauma. Well, and, and also, and let's say at this that point, Brenda's, the grandparents don't want to lose the child. Go ahead. Right, and let's say that Brenda's um, daughter or son came and said, you know, we can't take care of the children now. Can you take care of them? And Brenda said, uh, no, I'd rather that they go to foster care, and then I'll try to get them, like you mentioned earlier. There is absolutely no guarantee that they will end up at the grandparents. Mm-hmm. And if DCFS knows that it's the grandparents who said no initially, that the mom, the kids weren't abused or neglected, the parents could not, just couldn't for whatever reason, couldn't take care of them and ask their parents to do it, and the parents said no, they they would have a hard time getting those mm-hmm. children placed with them That's because right. they would it would come up that they had originally said no they couldn't take them right but even and, if and they were so, able to say we need we want the support we think these children are going to need specialized therapy or, or educational help and we know that there is money available that and we want for the children's sake for them to be eligible for this money you're saying that even if that is their reason the social, right. they, they would be hard the pressed to, to guarantee that the children would end up. It would really, you know, it would depend on the social workers. It would dep- that are assigned to the family. It would depend on the attorneys that are assigned to the children. It would depend on the on the judge. Yeah, and so you have no, and, and all of those are a lot. Right, of it's a big, so, big yeah. risk to take. Risk. Yeah. Okay. All right. So there are a lot of things to think through in this situation um, um, about what the, the better, what your best bet is uh, when first asked and in Brenda's case three years later. Now I want to shift to talking about some of the unique issues that kinship care providers face. And one of the first ones that I want to talk about is such a real one. Um, well, all of them are real, but this one just really, uh, it, it really gets at the heart of the matter, and it's this is an unexpected change in your life circumstances that you didn't ask for. And what we will hear from people is are things like this, I didn't choose this, or I can't help but feel like my life is being disrupted or, or taken over, or, or I'm doing this child or his family a favor. Um, and, you know, those are real, the, this total unexpected change and what you thought your life was going to be and what it is now becoming results in a feeling of loss and, quite frankly, often ambivalence. Um, but I, I see it as so very often unvoiced because there's a feeling there's a, 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 that you don't, this is not acceptable to say. Um, Sylvie, how often do you see this as an issue facing uh, kinship providers? Well, I think that especially if you're a grandparent, an older, you know, a senior, and you had really anticipated a different kind of retirement where you had maybe wanted to be a doting grandparent and not a parent after, you know, having raised your own family. And so the feelings are perfectly normal and perfectly natural, and you feel like you're on a roller coaster, and one day you feel like 
great, you could do this, and it's, you know, it's going to be, you know, with family support, you're going to get through this. Other days you feel like, oh, my goodness, I can't even think about another day. I'm getting calls every day that my grandchild is misbehaving at school or I'm going to be losing my job because I have to take off for doctor's appointments all the time or, you know, the child is being suspended from school. And so your whole life gets turned inside out and upside down. And so I think that it's really, at that point, it's really a good idea to get involved with a a support group in your local area because you'll realize that you're not the only one feeling these feelings, and it's a place where you can talk freely and not feel judged or criticized because these Mm -hmm. are very normal feelings. Yeah, your your life is being disrupted. Um, It's not just that you feel that way. It is being. It certainly, most people aren't planning on this. Kate, do you see a difference in kinship providers, this feeling of, of, of ambivalence? Do you see any difference whether it's the grandparent versus an aunt or a cousin or a sibling, or is it pretty universal regardless? The feeling of being ambivalent? <laughs> ambivalent, disrupted, uh, oh. unexpected change. Oh, I, I think that it's it's – that's the issue for every single relative we've ever spoken with, right, Sylvie? Mm-hmm. Right. Whether you're yes. whether you're However, brother, aunt, or uncle. I do but, think, though, it really I, depends mm-hmm. on your age and how impacted. Because if you're an aunt and you're in your 30s, you have a couple of your own children, you're still raising kids, you it may not have the same impact it'll have a different impact if you still have your own children in the home you're going to experience different issues um you're still parenting but what you may experience is um you know your own children being resentful that there are you know your cousins the cousins are coming to live with them and maybe they're going to feel that the cousins are getting more um more attention than they are because Mm -hmm. they're having trauma, you know, experiencing trauma. So you're going to experience a lot of upheaval, but it may be a different different caliber in a a different area. Right. And the, the other issue is when you're an older American, if you happen to be living in federal housing, oftentimes that federal housing doesn't let you have children, and we find that relatives are having to hide the children and act like they're not really living there, they're just visiting. So older Americans have a great number of challenges when trying to raise a relative's child, not only the emotional feelings, but, you know, the the, the restricted incomes that they have or the type of housing that they have. Um, it's And it's exhausting, and it's a different culture than when they raise children, and yeah. it's exhausting. And these the children are coming to them with trauma that right. their own children didn't didn't necessarily experience. Right. Mm-hmm. And let me say, it's not just federal housing. Many retirement communities right. don't allow children. And we hear from people who are either facing having to move or trying to hide the children. Um, mm-hmm. Although it's more difficult, I think, in a in a retirement community. All yeah, right, so all exactly. very real. Another issue that we find, and this is maybe particularly when it's grandparents, but also sometimes other relatives as well, and that is guilt. Um, a guilt mm-hmm. that, that they perceive that somehow it's their responsibility or failure in parenting their child that has resulted in their child not being an involved parent or being an addict or being in jail or whatever the the, the situation. Kate, what can we any thoughts on what to talk uh, what to say to a person who is is feeling guilty because that they failed as a parent and now they're being punished because they're now raising their grandchildren and they're afraid they're going to screw up the grandkids too. Yeah. Um we try to get people to seek out uh peer support. Um, because nobody understands that issue better than another relative raising a relative's child. That mm-hmm. it, it is not your fault. This is what is happening is you've become a hero to a child. Think of yourself as a hero. Don't think of yourself as a failure. Um, ser- search out for people in your faith community, in your community, community action agencies, uh, cooperative extensions often will have support groups. Um, we have a, a number of Facebook support groups for kinship caregivers where mm-hmm. other relatives, if you start talking like that, they're going to come up and they're going to say, don't you talk like that. 
we are doing this for the children. We are good people doing a good thing. Mm -hmm. And you need that peer support to keep going because you do feel like, you know, you feel ashamed. It's like you don't want to tell people, I'm raising my grandchildren. Then everybody in your community looks at you like, well, what did you do wrong as a parent? And I've had families tell me that. And Mm -hmm. no, that do not let that happen to you. Get your right, support. and we just, you know, try to encourage the the caregivers to realize that their adult children made choices. Mhm, mhm. And also, you're a different. As far as the, you are a different parent now. And even if you did make mistakes, we all make mistakes. And that's not to say that you're going to repeat the mistake. You're a different person now as well, uh, and have uh, and are parenting in a different way, and will parent in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and the support groups are vital. Uh, creating a family has a very active uh, online support group with many kinship providers in right. there um, as well. But And there are many others as well mm-hmm. online. And if you're fortunate, you will be able to find an, a, a, um, uh, an in-person one. Um, another unique challenge that kinship providers often face is how this, uh, affects the relationship with their with the child's parent. With the um, and if you were the grandparent, then it would be with your child. Um, but if you're a, a kinship uh, provider, cousin or sister or whatever, this is from a question we received from Debbie. I am raising my grandson because my daughter is an addict and probably also has some mental health issues. It has been a real struggle financially because I had to cut way back on my hours because he has a lot of appointments and because child care is so expensive that it's cheaper for me to stay home than pay pay child care. I am considering trying to make this an official foster care arrangement so that I can get help from the state. And, in fact, we've already talked about it. That may not be possible, but nonetheless, her point is. But my daughter is furious that I'm doing this. She is threatening me and threatening to take my son away, her son away. I don't know what to do. Um, the point, I think that the bigger point is that uh, Debbie's uh, daughter, who is her grandson's mother, who she is raising, um, is threatening her to take the son away and the impact. It's, it's affecting her relationship with her daughter. Any thoughts on that, Sylvie? Well, I think it's very important for Debbie to document all of the daughter's behaviors and what is going on if she's visiting, if she's not visiting, if she's calling, if she's coming and she's spending time with the grandchild but she's on the phone the whole time uh, um, because at some point this may be ending up in probate court where in family court where she is going to have to um, really advocate for the placement of her grandson with her because if the mother is an addict and is having mental health issues and may not be getting properly medicated if if that's what she needs, it's going to be incumbent on Debbie to have the proper documentation so that she can prove to the court that the mother is not at this point capable of parenting the grandchild. You know, how often do you see anger at their child becoming an issue? Because or their relative, um, because I, I can see certainly that you would just be mad, mad that your child or your sister or your cousin or whomever is making these these choices that are impacting this child and impacting you, Kate. Oh yes, there's a there's a lot of anger and frustration that you have to work through, um, and many of us have been there. So. Okay. Uh, I can't say anything other than you've got to find support for yourself. Um, And, you know, there are often times that we recommend uh, families go to um, some of the anonymous programs for uh, family members of addicts, for example, to try to get support from from those people who probably are also having to raise uh, someone's children, too. So you've got to find support. There's only one way to process anger and frustration and everything that comes along with kinship care, and that's to find a support network that works for you. And know that your feelings are perfectly normal, and everyone is in the that's in your position has been there. Yeah, I think that's powerful. Let me read a uh, another question that was sent in. This is from Teresa. 
I am raising my niece. She's been with me for almost a year, and she just turned seven. We are having lots of problems. My sister and I are polar opposites, and when my niece acts like her, it pushes all my buttons from childhood. It also scares me because of how my sister turned out. I'm wondering if my niece would be better with someone without all this family baggage. Uh, this one broke my heart. There's so much to there's so much to undig here with the idea of transference and and projection and, and things like that. Sylvie, why don't you give some some make an attempt at first to talk to Teresa about the issue of seeing her sister in her niece and it interfering with her ability to be a good parent or to be parenting the way she chooses to parent. You know, my heart goes out to Teresa, uh, um, I and I think that. Because she's articulate enough to verbalize that and to realize that it may be interfering or coming, you know, becoming a part of what her parenting, it would be important for her to get some therapy to help deal with her childhood and her her past and her present, because she needs to learn that, you know, she can break the cycle. She just needs to get some techniques and some and to work through the issues and you know possible trauma that she and maybe her sister have experienced, but that the biggest plus for Teresa is that she is acknowledging that it may be an issue, and absolutely this little girl is better off with family, especially I mean this is a positive thing that Teresa is acknowledging that there is an issue for her. Yeah, and so I think that she should really work through and not give up on the child because this would be intensely traumatic for this little girl to lose her mother and then her aunt and the trauma that she would go through. And it, it may not be even repairable at that point with all the losses of the the rocks in her life. Kate, what are some – this is not an uncommon feeling – of of being angry at or or uh, angry at the child's parent, or um, seeing that fearing that the child is going to be turning out like their parents. But so, what are some things that we that if we are the caretaker for this child, how do what are some things that we need to make certain that we do uh, to allow this child to have some positive things about their parent, particularly when you feel some positive things about their parent, especially if if you're struggling to find some anything positive about their parent at that point. Right. Well, I think one of the things that is really important to get started is that there is a, a and I would say this to her, there is an instrument called the Adverse Child Experiences um, assessment tool, and mm-hmm. I would guess that she probably would score in middle range to high range in terms of what she experienced in terms of childhood trauma, and that has to be dealt with. Her own tra- trauma related to working through with her sister, um, growing up in a condition in which all of her buttons were getting pushed. Um, so, dealing with understanding your own feelings, your own trauma and then making sure that you're identifying the trauma issues for the child and searching out for a really good trauma-informed therapist who can help people work through the trauma. Because we have learned um, for years now that when children and adults go back and realize their trauma and work through their trauma and find new ways to process their histories, they do much better. The other thing is that she has got to come to a position in which she is taking care of herself. Self-care is one of those things that nobody ever thinks about when they're in the middle of running up and down a railroad track. You're not thinking about self-care. You're just trying to get off of the railroad track. Um, And you have got to take time for self-care. And there are so – we have the Internet. It is so easy now to find tools and help for, you know, what do I need to be doing to take care of myself because I can't take care of this child properly unless I have taken care of myself. And I would tell her she has got to work on taking care of herself in this process, and that will help her make the right decisions for her and for the child. 
I'm, if, I'm, I'm giving you a standing ovation on both points. I am so thankful you raised our own, our, what we bring to the table uh, as parents uh, matters, and, and uh, our own childhood, our own trauma, um, it does influence how we are, and self-care, mm-hmm. self-care is something that um, if uh, it's almost become a mantra for all mm-hmm. types of parenting for us, but especially uh, when we're parenting uh, a child that's come from a, a difficult background. But even without, just self-care because your life has been turned upside down and you need to, to honor that. I also think sometimes it's helpful to think back to there's there's probably – something that you like about their parents or have liked about their parent in the past. And it's mm-hmm. important for kids to hear that because so often right. they don't hear anything positive. Um, and, and I think that's important for us to share. And sometimes it may take a little digging, as in Teresa's case, um, to think about some positive characteristics or talents or or just the funny stories or something about their parents because kids need to hear good things about their parents. Right, and then they they think of themselves as a reflection of their parents. So if Mm -hmm. you have nothing that you can think of good about that person, then they begin to feel there's nothing good about themselves. So I'm giving you a standing ovation because that's such an important point, is to be able to say, hey, you know, she was a great artist. She, you know, could draw a dragon like nobody could draw a dragon, or Mm -hmm. she had a voice like an angel, or Whatever you can think of, she was very helpful to people. She Mm -hmm. took care of mom or something. But you're right, because if you don't help them see positives in their parents, they begin to feel that they have all of the attributes that you are are experiencing with their parent. It becomes like the self-fulfilling prophecy, and if my parent is bad, then I'm going to be bad. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah, and there's no hope for me. And it's also empowering for them to know that, you know, and you do have some of your your mom's or your dad's uh, talents and potentials, and you can make different choices. Um, you know, you have that ability as well. They weren't necessarily a bad person for the choices they made, and you have the ability to make different choices, so that's a power that you have. Um, I think I'm getting ready to interrupt somebody. Was somebody getting ready to say something? I just wanted to throw in there that that one of the things that people need to also understand about the trauma that the children are are facing and that you yourself has faced as a as a caregiver and your history um is that depending on when the trauma happens depends on when a part of your normal development gets interrupted and can also be kind of arrested or frozen so if you as if the child had gone through an experience uh, at a very early age um, of trauma and never got the bonding or the independent thinking um, development processed in their own uh, growth, then they're kind of going to be arrested in that. So you also have to be really uh, cognizant of where that child is and when that abuse started. Um, so I really encourage people who are, are facing those kind of situations to say, okay, let's look at when this abuse started and what was supposed to happen with that child's development. That could be telling, giving me signals and information about what I need to do differently in parenting that child. Right, because their emotional age is different than their chronological age. Mm-hmm. And so expectations may need to be adjusted. Yeah, absolutely. Let me reference, uh, we have, uh, Creating a Family has a course with Dr. Dan Siegel that talks a lot about um, what we as parents bring to the table and how it influences how we attach to our children, how we respond to our kids, and that we as parents uh, need to own what we're bringing to the table so that we are better able to help our kids. It's a um, uh, the course is um, parental attachment, the importance of, of attachment style, and it's with Dr. Dan Siegel, and it's 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 one of my uh, one of my very favorites. Great. One of the interesting things that comes up, <clears throat> especially when we start talking with families uh, about moving forward, uh, it, perhaps into adoption or a permanent custody arrangement, perma- permanent guardianship or, or adoption, is a feeling that. If they do this, they're giving up all hope that their relative, their child, the, the child's parent, um, is going to ever get better. 
Sylvie, how do we talk to that? I mean, there's that fine line between being living in denial and, and, and everybody needing hope. And, and how do grandparents, as well as other relatives, and it's probably the hardest on grandparents, I suspect, uh, how do they walk that line? Well, a lot of it has to do with the giving the child permanence and security and knowing that they won't be yanked out of the home. And with oftentimes when you're involved with the child welfare system, they push adoption because they don't want a child floundering in foster care and they want permanence for the child. So sometimes you feel pressured into it. And what we've seen, depending on the age of the child, is that sometimes it's actually better for the child who might be closer to age 16. And if if they're in legal guardianship through pro, uh, through dependency court, they may be eligible for more resources and services for college. And so it's sort of, you know, you have to look at really what's best for each individual family situation. Um, with a younger child, it is much better to adopt because in legal guardianship, the parents can always attempt to to get the child back. And it would, if they got their act together, even if the child was 14 or 15, we've seen where the guardianship has been reversed and the child was returned to the parents even against um, the child's wishes. So, you know, you really have to look before deciding to do adoption at what's best to each individual family. There's not a blanket. You can't make a blanket statement that will work for every family. Is that very true? Kate, how about that um that that feeling that if I were to to seek adoption or permanent guardianship, it means that I'm giving up on my child or my relative. Meaning the child that, that you raise, the child the, the the child uh, your child if you're the grandparent raising your grandchild. Yeah, that's a very powerful emotion and it and it changes kind of the whole family tree. Mm-hmm. Um, all I can say is that if you make the decision to go there, you're making that decision in the best interest of the child. And so just focus on the fact that you're doing this for the child and you're making that best interest decision for them. And find a way to deal with your pain and your hurt separate from that. Yeah, and I, 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 yeah, that's that's very true, and I, I also think that trying to make a distinction that this is the best plan, whatever it is you decide, and as Sylvie points out, you need to look at a broad spectrum of things. It's the best plan for now, but it doesn't mean that you don't think your child, uh, the child's parents, um, your grandchild's parents, your child, is going to get better. They can still get well. They can still get on medication or whatever the issue is. And at that point, you will reassess and they can have another role, uh, uh, another crack at having a role in the child's life. It's not the same as giving, um, as totally giving up. Um, Absolutely. Dawn, we have seen many families where the child has been adopted and years later the relative, the parent, the biological parent has taken you know the right path has gotten rehabilitated and who now is very involved and in the child's life and should anything happen to the grandparents or the grandparents want to go on vacation they have adopted those children they can determine what the relationship is with the birth parent we have seen birth parents come back into the picture and be very, very involved in the child's life. And it's that is wonderful. That's like the best scenario for everyone because then everyone who loves the child is involved with them. Yeah, Absolutely. I have a friend whose who's, who's aunt is her, is her mother, and she didn't find that out until later in life, um, and it always had a great relationship with the aunt, who then she finds out was her mother. But the the issue is that you're right, Sylvia, um, you can have a great relationship. The future is not 
before you yet. So you don't know what's going to happen. Just take care of the child, take care of yourself, and keep engaged with your child if you possibly can to for the day when they do turn everything around and come back. That can happen. By, it does. Exactly. And by choosing permanency for the child, you are not precluding that from happening. Correct. Um, it may even be giving it a greater chance of happening. Who knows? You don't know in mm-hmm. the future. Um, yeah. Another thing that comes up is the feeling of, of divided loyalties. And this mm-hmm. is particularly the case, uh, it, well, perhaps it's not more so, but I, I certainly know of more examples when this happens, when it is the grandparent raising a grandchild. And they feel a, a sense of loyalty to their adult child, but they also have a sense of loyalty to their grandchild, the child that they are currently raising. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, and that it gets complicated, and it gets and sometimes it gets very complicated. For instance, an example that has come up in our support group is that the, um, uh, there's a, a protective order where the adult child is not supposed to be having contact uh, with, the, with their child. And the grandparent has to feels like that they have a responsibility and they, they believe in their adult child and they don't believe that the protection order is correct. That it, it's complicated, and uh, so let's talk a little bit about those feelings of, of of allegiance and divided loyalties. Kate, why don't you start start us off on that? I think that the divided loyalty issue is a very real, and you have to you have to recognize it, and you have to accept that you're going to have those feelings. You're going to have those feelings even more if you decide to go the foster care route because you will have social workers who will be watching over you, making sure you don't have any contact with that child, and the child has no contact with their birth parents. Mm-hmm. But that, that divided loyalty about what's best for the child and what's best for the adult child is, I, I have to say, I always believe it's the minor child who's you have to side on the, on the side of that child. You have to do what is best for that child um, and try to reason and um, make decisions and have conversations with the birth parent. Um, but always, in my opinion, you have to always honor what is best for, for the young child. I agree, Kate. And we have seen where a child has been removed from the home because the grandparent did not abide by the court order regarding visitation or, or lack of and so it is imperative that the relative abide by the court order for the protection of the child, even if they're not in agreement. Yeah. And and it's very sad because it really puts the grandparent in an adversarial position with their adult child. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. like Kate said, you have no choice. If you are going to be responsible for that child, you have to protect the child in the way that child welfare sees the situation. Yeah, and you and 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 you may not have the ability to, to change that. It it is what it's going to be. You can try to change it. Um mm-hmm. but because if it, they if child welfare feels that rules. you are more siding with the adult child your adult child than the grandchild, they may that may be reason enough for them not to place the child in your home. Mm-hmm. And, and you also have to make sure the guardian's litem is also a big player in this. Um, in most states, there is a guardian ad litem, and if the guardian ad litem is seeing that you have uh, divided loyalties and that you, the guardian ad litem is not sure which side the child's going to come out on and that divided loyalty, they'll make recommendations to the court for the child to be moved, and that's what the court will do. So how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the fact that you – your adult child is going to be mad at you um, if you if you side with the the minor child, your grandchild or their child. I mean, so Kate, what do you, what how do you how do you mind how do you process in your mind the fact that your adult child is going to be furious and and threatened to cut off relationships? Well, I remember a lot of tears myself. Um. <laughs> and you have to remember, you wouldn't be in this position if they hadn't done something to put the child in jeopardy in some kind of yeah. danger mm-hmm. that helps to re- it also helps to remember 
that they're an adult. I think that we all have a tendency to infantilize our children and, and, you know, think of them even when they're in their 20s or older as still children, and in fact they're not. Um, they're an adult, and they made a choice. Uh, so that, that helps perhaps a little uh, with uh, developing a backbone, um, wanting to step up to, stand up to your, uh, to your adult child. Sure, and it's not easy. It's not easy to stand up to that adult child, and it's going to be painful, which is another reason, and I don't want to be harping on this, but it's another reason why support groups are so vital because I have had I don't know how many um, relatives, kinship caregivers say to me, I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have this group to go to mm-hmm. because there there yeah. is no one else who understands it better. And oftentimes these relatives who are facing this, who are working, are dealing with that divided loyalty or, divi- or working through their anxiety or their frustration or their uh, aggravation, they're also dealing with other relatives who are saying, just give the child to social services or just give the child back. You're not yeah. responsible for the child. And so they yep. have all of that to deal with. So the number mm-hmm. of stressors that come into the life of a kinship caregiver is unbelievable for most people mm-hmm. unless they have lived mm-hmm. it and that's why a support group is your best source to get through that anxiety and you are going to cry and you are going to hurt and you it's going to be painful but at the end of the road you're going to see a child that's going to blossom because they had someone who stepped up and put them first and that's what you're doing you know there's a wonderful quote that says what do children need children need one person they need one person to step up for them. And mm-hmm. you, you're being asked to be that one person, and you mm-hmm. can do it. And, uh, and that always gives me goosebumps to think about that. You know, it's, it's great if there's a village, but a lot of kids don't have that. But what they really need is one person, and you can be that. On, uh, let me let you guys talk a little about your organizations right now because they both of them provide such wonderful resources. So, Sylvie, tell us about Grandparents as Parents, and let me give the website right now uh, because I know that everybody listening is going to want to go there, uh, grandparentsasparents, all one word, dot org. So, Sylvie, what uh, resources will people find who are um, parenting their grandchildren? Well, first of all, we can um, help you link up with organizations in your state if you aren't currently living in California, if you um, go to our website or call us. And we also, but for caregivers who are in our area, we provide weekly therapeutic support groups. We have, um, we also do education. We do a conference every year for relative caregivers. We do a lot of advocacy and crisis intervention. We'll go with you and intervene on your behalf with child welfare. If you're having issues with the child's school, we'll go with you to the school. We'll set up an IEP. So really what we try to do is we'll do uh, referrals and resources. Uh, um, We try to be a one-stop shop for families who are putting their own lives on hold to – take over parenting a child whose parents can't do it. Excellent. And Kate, tell us about Newfound Families of Virginia. Newfound Families of Virginia. Let me get the website. I forgot. Oh, I'm sorry. uh, Here's the website, newfoundva.org. NewfoundVA, that stands for Virginia, so NewfoundVA.org. Sorry about that. I just wanted to make sure I got the website right. out first. Now, tell us about sure. Newfound Families and what resources Newfound, are, are people Newfound Families find. is an organization for Virginians who are raising relatives' children or, or foster parents or adoptive parents, which is kind of interesting to be supporting all of those people. But we believe that if we all work together in foster adoption and kinship care, we will do the best thing for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so we also would be happy to connect you with other states, but we do have a, a an organization called the National Kinship Alliance for Children, which for which I'm the vice president, and that organization has a toll-free number, um, and they can, people can call that number and also get connected with supports. That organization also has a support group called Kinship Caregivers of America. It is a very strong uh, kinship support group, and I would encourage people to check that out for for help. 
Um, also, you will find on our website, and even if you just put the words grand, G-R-A-N-D, K-I-N, Grand Kin Guide, into your web browser, it will either take you to the Children's Bureau or it will take you to Newfound Families of Virginia or the National Kinship Alliance. But it is a guide also to help um, relatives understand the types of kinship care and the types of assistance and support either through custody or through informal care or through adoption that might be available to them. And it's a great guide. I strongly recommend it. And Thank the you. website for the National Kinship Alliance for Children is kinshipalliance.org. Kinship so mm-hmm. another uh, great resource for, uh, for families uh, to access. And one other one I want to mention, because I have really enjoyed it as well, it's a um, video series with uh, uh, Dr. Joseph Crumbly, and it's called Engaging Kinship Caregivers. And uh, I've really enjoyed that. It's uh, provided or funded by the Annie E. Casey Foundation. Uh, and you can just uh, Google that and um, uh, engaging kinship caregivers. And you can put Joseph Crumbly's name in there, and, and, and he, will, he will pop that. That resource will pop up, and it's free as well. Uh, well worth looking up. Let me remind everyone that uh, the information given in this interview is general advice to understand how to apply it to to you in your specific situation. Please work with uh, a professional uh, that you have have engaged in case that you've got specific questions on how it might apply to you. Thank you for being with us today, uh, both Kate Hawks and Sylvie De Toledo, to talk to us about this really important topic of unique issues in kinship care. Let me pause now to remind everybody that uh, the resources provided by this show are in part brought to you by the support by our partners uh, who believe in our mission of providing unbiased information and support to those who are uh, providing kinship care or are interested in adopting or fostering or whatever. One of our wonderful sponsors and, and supporters is Spence Chapin. They are a licensed and accredited nonprofit organization in the New York City metro area that has been offering adoption services for more than 100 years. We also have Hopscotch Adoptions. They are a Hague-accredited international adoption agency placing children from Armenia, Bulgaria, Croatia, Georgia, Ghana, Guyana, Morocco, Pakistan, Serbia, Ukraine, and they also have a very strong International Kinship Adoption Program. Thank you so much for joining us today, and I will see you next week.